Hi, welcome back to You Gotta Meet Her podcast. I'm Christine Barr, and today we are talking with Alex. Alex is a great friend of mine. I have known him, oh my goodness, I think about 10 years now. I'm so grateful for him to come on and speak with me, very honest, like all of our guests. Um, He talks about his learning disability um, that we kind of geek out on. We talk about TV watching, (laughs) Um, but we also get to hear his style of management. So if you are in a management role or if you're thinking about getting into a management role, he puts down a lot of good laws. I'm going to call them laws um, because the the care that he's able to give to his employees or his partners that he works with is amazing and you don't hear it every day. We also talk about his ethnic background, which is a first for me to have um, his background on the podcast, along with fatherhood and things that he is dealing with on a daily. I am so grateful for Alex to be on the podcast today. So let's get started. Please meet Alex. All right, today we're talking with Alex. Alex, tell me a little bit about you. Oh, stuff that you don't already know. Uh, stuff <laughs> that you want people to know about you. Um, so yeah, obviously my name's Alex. I live in Wichita, Kansas, born and raised. Um, kind of been all over the place along the lines of college and school. I spent summers up in Maine, um, up at a camp up there for three summers and then came back here and kind of hit school hard and worked at Red Rock and same place. That's where I met you. Yeah. Kind of how I got my start in the restaurant industry and um, married with a kid. My kid's actually going to be turning one year on the 30th. I know. So um, yeah, I mean, it's just kind of, that's the basic overview. Yeah. How old are you? So I am 30. It's funny because I always have to sit there and think about it. (laughs) I feel like after your 21st birthday, every other thing just becomes a blur. <laughs> yeah, definitely, definitely. And so, yeah, I'm 31. But okay. even even on my 30th birthday, I like my wife was like, yeah, you're turning 30. I'm like, I am? <laughs> like, man, that's weird. And she was like, well, how old do you think you were? I'm like, I honestly, I don't know. I don't keep counting. <laughs> And like, I, I don't, I don't know. It, it is what it is at this point. Well, yeah. I keep telling my kids I'm 27 and now my son, he's in fifth grade. Right. So when he started learning how to do, um, what is it? Um, multiple digit subtraction <laughs> and Brandon goes take 1989 and subtract it by 2000 in whatever year it was. Yep. And he was like, what? You've been telling me you're 27 this whole time. And I'm like, why you got to learn how to do math? Like, yeah. you don't need to know how to do that. <laughs> <laughs> so tell me, what is your ethnic background and um, your race? Okay, so basically I'm half Lebanese. And then I just kind of sum it up as half Irish because really when I start diving into my dad's side, it's all a bunch of different different right. things. But um, the predominant gene is is Lebanese. My mother's maiden name was Laham. Um, my wife is full, full-blooded Lebanese. Okay. Um, she was actually born in Lebanon and then moved with her family uh, at a young age to Ottawa, Canada. 
And oh, so wow. it's kind of crazy. My kid is more Lebanese than I am. <laughs> I don't look Lebanese whatsoever with a red beard and brown hair. <laughs> yeah. Um, I definitely picked up my dad's side of the yeah. side of the genes there on the on the physical traits. Um, but yeah, I mean that's Lebanese is pretty much the main thing I I uh, say there, and then the Irish side on the other. So where is Lebanon? So Middle East, it's right um, smack dab in the middle, like small okay. country um, surrounded by a bunch of turmoil. Yeah. It's kind of like a miracle that it's still there today. Um, but Lebanese are very resilient. Um, that's how they've always been. They're always uh, very business minded. They're great people to be around, very opinionated. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but they're yeah. also a lot of fun. <laughs> so um, culturally, did you were you raised because you know um as i'm finding out like if your mother is that ethnic background yep. normally that's how she raises the kids so even though that your father had more of an irish side were you raised more with the lebanese culture yes 100 percent. so the church that i go to um i'm orthodox okay. orthodox christian and so back in the day the orthodox and the catholics were one church before they split and my church is predominantly um, Arab. So okay. a lot of Lebanese, a lot of Colmias, Lehams. Um, I could just roll on down the line. It's funny, you just look at the, uh, you look at the church directory and it's just Lebanese name after Lebanese name after Lebanese name. So I always grew up, I mean, whenever I'd go to church camps or anything like that, everything is very um, Lebanese dominated or Arab okay. dominated. Okay, so what is the Lebanese culture? Like, you already kind of said characteristics of like yeah. how their personalities are, but what is the culture that would be different from, uh, I know Arabic is more of a language, yeah. right? But what what sets it apart? Because in my head, I, I want to say this because I want you to hear how ignorant Go I am. Go for it. Um, so Lebanese and Greek to me are very similar. And they have very similar facial structures to me. Like okay. if someone said that they were Lebanese, I probably in my head would be like, oh, they're definitely Greek, uh, the skin tones and stuff mm -hmm. like that. But that's how ignorant I am. I don't know. I, I think you're probably one of the only Lebanese people. I know, I think I had a teacher that was Lebanese. Yeah. But anyways, but I inform me, teach me what your culture is like. Um, you know, we're very friendly. I mean, very um, social is a good way to put it. I mean, we love our parties. We love um, being around people. Uh, the, you know, the typical Lebanese family is a very large family. Okay. Um, so I, I mean, I come from only having one other sibling, um, mm -hmm. but you know, my, my wife, her family, I mean, they, their families compared to the U.S. size of families mm -hmm. are very large. Um, but you know, it's, it's all about, you know, people, food. I mean, we, uh, I told Caroline when she moved here, I go, we, you'll get it, which was the only place that you'll get a phone call at 1030 at night saying, <laughs> Hey, do you want to come hang out? Yeah. And my friends, I mean, we'll, we'll, we'll hang out, you know, three times a week. Sometimes it's obviously mm -hmm. changed since all of us had kids. Right. Um, but it's for me, the Lebanese culture is all about people. It's all about, um, you know, dinners, I, I have to say it so many times whenever I'm hosting a, an event and I have to communicate to the kitchen. I go, this, these people stress on making sure that we have enough food. Cause if you ever go to a Lebanese house, 
if they're cooking for five, you're going to show up with food for 10. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah. It's, you never want to <laughs> run short on food. Yeah. Um, but I mean, the Lebanese culture, I mean, you could dive in and really um, go super in depth on it. But mm-hmm. what I then I identify the most with is just the, uh, you know, the social aspect of it. Right. I mean, it's just all the, the way if you've never been to a Lebanese wedding, you're missing out. Oh, okay. But I'll put it that way. It okay. is a blast. It's a full on party. Um, <laughs> but I mean, I've, I've, my friends group, we're super tight knit, super close. If we don't hang out with each other for a week, it's almost like I'll tell my wife, I was like, yeah, I mean, I haven't hung out with, with Tim and forever. And she's like, Alex, it's been a week. And I go, I know it feels like forever. <laughs> I mean, I'll hop on the phone and my friend yeah. will be like, do I know you? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So very tight knit. Very yes, tight-knit. very tight knit, um, super tight knit community. Uh, it's like my church; everybody knows everybody. Mm-hmm. I also think that's Wichita. Yeah, true, you know? true. Wichita is like it wants to be a big city. It's a big small city. Yes, yes. I mean, you could. I remember talking with a table at Red Rock and saying one of the things I love about Wichita, but also one of the things I hate about Wichita is the fact that I could sit here and talk with somebody, and they either know my parents or they know somebody <laughs> that I know, and the guy was like the guest said well do you want to take a shot at it and i'm like sure i go what do you got and he goes well who are your parents and i go oh rod and Val learn it and he goes wow actually i know your mom oh my god <laughs> that's creepy yeah that's yeah creepy. It's, it's creepy but i find it funny <laughs> yeah I mean, it's, it's like you can't do any wrong because they're going to know. <laughs> they're going to know. He's going to probably be telling a story about you. And she'd be like, wow, that sounds like my son. But like, I well, learned, what was his name? Oh, snap. That was my son. <laughs> I learned at a very young age, be careful of what you say around Wichita because it will get around. People it, will figure yeah. it out. Yeah, I, I remember. I definitely. <laughs> I mean, the more I grew up, the more I talk to people, the more friends I make. I mean, there's just yeah. everything just starts to get tight knit closer yeah. and closer and closer. But yeah. Um, so tell me about your childhood. You you kind of expressed that, you know, you had these two different cultures that is mm-hmm. rolling through your blood. You're in a small big town. But how how was it growing up with that lifestyle? Did in Wichita has weird um from my recollection, it has weird pockets of mm-hmm. communities, right? Yeah. And um, people normally stay in their communities. So where were you following in that? And how did you grow up and handle that? Well, my, my dad's parents, I really didn't get a chance to know them until like freshman year in high school, really. Okay. Um, I think when my sister graduated was one of the first times I got to spend time around them. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, all of my identity growing up was all on the on the other side side, on the Lebanese side um and we're very like American Lebanese my family Mm -hmm. and I I never really thought that until I met my wife's family and I'm like wow yeah I'm I'm white (laughs) (laughs) I was like I am white I mean but we always grew up with all the Lebanese food I mean Mm -hmm. I mean my grandmother would come over and drop off food at the house I mean it's and I would just go to town I mean did you feel different in school no no. Not at all. Uh, school to me, it's just, I'm such a social person that, you know, I never really thought being Lebanese was that much different, but I also have no problem kind of socializing with people from different backgrounds and different yeah. different cultures and whatnot. But I mean, I went to 
um, small schools my whole life. So it's just kind of everybody knew each other. Mm -hmm. There really wasn't any, nobody was, that's the nice thing about which I was divisive based off of culture at all. Yeah. It was pretty inclusive, but I mean, growing up, I, I went to a school that I could walk to. Um, nowadays you don't see any kids walking to school really. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I had a learning disabilities growing up. Um, I had a petite form of epilepsy. So I'd have what they would call petite mal seizures where I would be in class and on the chalkboard would be, let's say a math problem. And for me, what would seem like the blink of an eye, um, it'd go from the beginning of a math problem to half of the chalkboard is full. And I would space out for probably like, you know, three minutes at a time, two minutes at a time, sometimes five. Um, but I'd be, from what people would tell me, I'd be staring off in the distance, um, but you could still have a conversation with me. Really? But I would have no recollection of that at all. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So. Did that uh, get paired with any other disabilities? ADHD and dys dyslexia. So yeah. basically as soon as I was, I had to take medicine and get, uh, EEGs to kind of monitor my epilepsy. And then eventually, luckily I grew out of it. And then right after that, ADHD came into play. They, I got diagnosed with that and then, uh, dyslexia. Okay. So, yeah. and dyslexia really kind of it explained sucks. a lot. <laughs> it sucks. I have it too. And, um, I don't know if you got a chance to listen to one of my episodes, but like, my son is learning, like I was telling you, he's learning how to read right now, but he's spelling words that I have to, rem I memorized. Yeah. Dyslexia mm -hmm. is basically like a high form of memory yeah. because you don't know where these letters go. And my favorite is when they put like multiple choice questions of spelling and which one's wrong. Oh, I yeah. don't know. Well, I'd be reading a book and then I'd sit there and stare at a word and go, what the heck? And then it would take, yeah. I'd have to, the trick I had to learn was look away and then mm. look back. And then all oh. of a sudden it's like, oh yeah. Okay. That's what that word is. And then yeah. I kind of keep on going. And so I learned that trick as I was reading to, um, you know, look at the word, you don't understand what it is. Look to the side, look back. And then you're like, oh, Hey, Alex, yeah. you're, you're an idiot. <laughs> <laughs> I got it. I got it. Um, so finding little tricks like that with mm -hmm. your disabilities and stuff. Do you have to ever explain it to others? Every once in a while, my mm -hmm. wife laughs at my text messages a lot of the time. Mm -hmm. She's like, have you ever read your text messages like a day later? <laughs> and I will, I will go back through and I will start reading my text messages. And I'm like, wow, I, people must think I'm an illiterate in some <laughs> yeah. senses because, you know, I'm, I'm just, your brain's going so quick, especially with ADHD that I'm just like, all right, let's get things going. Let's get things done. Mm -hmm. um, that I'll look back and mean, I mean, would misspell a couple words or I'd spell one thing differently. And to me, when I'm looking at it at that point in time, makes complete right. sense looks right. good and then my wife's like yeah no look at this text and i'm like what was i saying how could you decipher and she goes i sometimes have to decipher your text messages to figure yeah. out what exactly you meant to say <laughs> yeah yeah um we're the same age so yep. when did you get um diagnosed with dyslexia and adhd i think that was close to around fifth grade okay um fifth or sixth grade, because that's when I ended up transferring schools because, you know, I was born in 89. So mm -hmm. when you're in fourth or fifth grade and you got a learning disability, um, everybody was just 
really starting to understand ADHD. They're starting mm-hmm. to understand dyslexia. They're starting to understand these things. So not all the schools had a lot of systems in place to have tests read to you, to have um, accommodations for, you know, extra testing time mm-hmm. and all that. And so that's where private school kind of kicked in yeah, pretty, that was pretty heavily. Um, that was luckily, you know, thank God I had the opportunity to go to a private school pretty much my whole life. Mm-hmm. Um, but being in that smaller classroom setting was the main thing that my parents talked about. That was the selling point um, for the learning disabilities. And yeah. so we, we made a move over to a private school that was still here in town. Luckily, mm-hmm. Wichita has several and they really specialized in kids with learning disability oh. while at the same time being a college preparatory school. So I kind of, it, it was nice to have some guidance and to have some people that you really have in your court um, that when something goes on with the teacher or something goes on with testing, you know, they're there to help translate mm-hmm. what's going on and to help, um, go to bat for you with certain things. Yeah. Because that was going to be my next question, but you answered all of it because I think I was in third or fourth grade as well. I was mm-hmm. pretty young, but no one knew what to do. Like, oh, yeah. there, like, and I was in a special school too, but like, no one knew they were like, yeah, you're dyslexic. And then it was like, <laughs> okay, so what does that mean? Yeah. But like you said, they were just now understanding it to even diagnose that yep. I had a problem. Yeah. So good for your parents for finding resources for you to be able to excel and understand. Yeah. And um, I think right now, sometimes still, dyslexia seems scary, <laughs> right? The parents I, that have never dealt with it. Yeah, for parents scary. that have never dealt with it. It's funny because yeah. for the kid, you're just like, life's normal to me. This yeah. is just like, I've had to live with it my whole life. <laughs> right. I mean, just because we diagnosed it, maybe I'm a little bit more aware of it. Right. Man, how does it, how does it feel to have dyslexia? I'm like, I don't know. I'm like, <laughs> I could tell you more of how it feels to have ADHD. Cause yeah, I mean, my medicine that, you know, I was prescribed, uh, I hated who I was when I mm. would take that medicine. I mean, my grades would go up because mm-hmm. I would be able to focus and be able to, um, concentrate a little bit better, but it got to the point where I was hiding my medicine from my parents Wow. because I was just this like grouch. Oh. I'm not this like happy go lucky personality whenever I was on my meds and, then I realized instead of hiding my meds and having my mom get mad at me, because as an adult now, I realize why she was getting mad at me. Right. Because right, A, right. she cares. And two, this is her money that's going down the drain. <laughs> right. Exactly. <laughs> so when I'm flushing these pills down the toilet, oh I'm God. literally flushing down money. <laughs> um, but I, I basically, I, I hid all my pills. Mm-hmm. I think it was in my underwear drawer, ironically <laughs> enough. I'm like, my mom's not going to go searching down my family. So yeah. I had a Ziploc baggie of all my of all my pills. And then when uh, my report card came out, you know, I started to have some good grades. My mom was like, see, you know, this medicine's helping you out. And I, go, <laughs> I just, I made it my goal to prove a point that I can do this without the medicine. And so Ooh. then, you know, I kind of went and little did I know I was shooting myself in the foot because anytime I screwed up after that, it was like, look, you can do this. Yeah. Yeah. yeah <laughs> so you never, good point. some people with disabilities, they, you got two different people. They'll either take it and they'll make the best out of it. Or you have people that'll take advantage of it mm-hmm. till the day's mm-hmm. end. And so, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, I mean, if finally she was like, fine, you know, if you don't want to take it, you're going to be an adult. Don't take it. Wow. And wow. so I just, I, I hated who I was, but my brain, I mean, when it gets going, 
it's haywire. Really? I mean, my boss has to sit there and look at me sometimes and say, Alex, okay, how did you get from, from his mind point A to point B? And I will mm. roll through everything. And then he looks at me, he goes, you went through that whole process in the span of two seconds. I'm like, oh yeah, 100%. Mm-hmm. I'm like, my brain's already on something else right now. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. I, I totally get that. Um, my thing is squirrel. Like it's like, da, 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 da. what? Squirrel. Yeah. Like, <laughs> and then go back to the conversation. <laughs> like, yeah. like, I mean, my brother-in-law, he's the same mix as me. I mean, he's full on half Irish, half Lebanese. Yeah. Um, but he had ADHD. He had mm-hmm. basically the same, same stuff that I had. Yeah. And we grew up together and now all of a sudden we're brother-in-laws and we always talk about, you know, I'm like, dude, I'm looking at my kid. He's a yeah. year old. And I'm like, this kid's going to have ADHD. <laughs> and Michael was like, Hey, yeah, I was talking with my daughter and, and, you know, I'm talking with her. I'm like, Hey, you know, yada, yada, yada. And then she was like, squirrel. Yeah. And I actually pointed at an actual squirrel and he was like, Oh my gosh, squirrel. <laughs> Literally, literally. Um, but I do want to get a little, I know we're taking light of it, but I do want to ask you because you have had it for so long, you know, yeah. people you're identifying it in others. Do you think it's society that is making it more like, I mean, um, I read a story that the like the average video needs to be about 3.5 seconds to catch someone's attention, but no more than about a minute, 90 seconds long in order to hold someone's attention um, through the whole thing. Do you think it's because we have YouTube where they're like short videos or um, now they have, was that Quibbly, Quib, Quib? Well, they're going, they're going under. Oh, well, they're they're actually, they actually just (laughs) released an article saying that they're folding Oh, goodness. Uh, this week it came out. Yeah. Oh, wow. Okay. They, but that was only 10 minute videos, right? 10 minute videos. Um, Episodes, you know, is what it, it, but... and you see a lot of YouTube videos do that. Um, I There's, there's multiple ways to look at it. I think the problem is there's technology is so available. And here I am with three computer monitors and my little <laughs> gaming setup here. Yeah. And I'm talking about technology being <laughs> overly available. But you look at kids that have iPads at too young of an age. I mean, mm-hmm. you take that iPad away and it's like you're ripped off a Band-Aid. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's kids are getting addicted to, oh, electronics and to screens. And for kids that have ADHD, you know, me, Nintendo 64 was coming out when I was yes! young. I mean, so if I was going to, if I was going to play video games, you know, I could play video games on Nintendo 64. You look at those games, they're not as extensive as they are nowadays. My mom would yell at me and go, go outside. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You need to be outside. And so I'd have to find stuff to do. Um, But nowadays kids don't have to do that. And when you have an iPad or you have a phone and you have a TV, um, we're very cautious with, with my son, how much we allow him to, Uh, watch tv and he's already won Mm -hmm. because your brain gets so wired to i've got free time i need something to preoccupy it yeah and we're living in a day and age where i could be sitting there watching tv on my computer and also sending an email on my phone Mm -hmm. and you know you're not giving your brain any time to have downtime uh so i think adhd is definitely getting almost do you think it's bread now not necessarily bread but like it's it's i think i think kids i think kids that would normally not have adhd 
are now being forced into a position where they have ADHD or it's these screens becoming an addiction and it's the side effect of that addiction that's causing, you know, your brain to go haywire when you're bored. Yeah. And that's one of the things that, you know, I kind of took away from having a conversation with, uh, you know, one of my priests that I knew from camp and I, I called him up and I'm like, Father Michael, I haven't talked to you in like six years, but, yeah. <laughs> you know, we talked about the changing of your um, religious dynamic, you know, as a, you know, when you're in church and you have a kid, you don't have time to sit there and pray. You don't, you don't get to pay attention as much. And he made a good comment of, you have to adjust your expectations whenever that happens, um, that you're not going to be able to be able to concentrate as much with the kid, but, you know, taking the kid to church on a weekly basis and doing all this stuff. Um, it's, you're doing far more for the kid by doing that. And he, he quoted this guy, um, Father Thomas Hopko that says, if you don't have 30 minutes to pray, pray for an hour. Yeah. We make time in our day to do stuff. Um, I've found it very important with my line of work that no matter what it is, carve out time for yourself. Whether you have to stay up a little bit late, whether you have to wake up a little bit early, carve out time for yourself. And so with my ADHD, you know, having some time where you're not around screens, having some time when you're just kind of sitting there. I love my breakfast cigar, mm -hmm. cigar and coffee in the morning. I'm a very happy man. And yeah. sometimes I'll just sit there and it's dead silence. And it's very, very nice. But I think in today's world, we're going to run into a situation where kids don't know what to do with themselves when they don't, when the internet goes out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. One of today's show sponsors is A Beautiful Life Consulting by Deanna Broadbent. Since COVID, we've all had to kind of make a pivot over here or over there. And for some of us, it means a new business. Well, you need a website, right? Well, please contact Deanna with A Beautiful Life Consulting, and she's going to help you find a clean and crisp custom design website. She will help you build your brand, create presence, and most importantly, be seen. If your customers can't find your website, then it doesn't exist. It's more important than ever for you to be listed correctly. A Beautiful Life Consulting will go over your goals and needs and make sure that you're comfortable with what she puts together and designs for you. Deanna is now offering for the You Gotta Meet Her podcast listener one free webpage when you purchase five custom webpages for $700 or more. So what are you waiting for? A Beautiful Life Consulting TX.com by Deanna Broadbent. Live, create, inspire. Uh, 
Um, I thank you so much for sharing that. that. Those were like a lot of little nuggets and I am, I'm so glad. It's my ADHD there. connecting so many wires. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I love all those nuggets. Um, I, I was listening to, it made me think of, I was listening to a podcast not too long ago about productivity mm -hmm. yep. and that when we do have those down times, how productive are we really being? when you hit the elevator button and you're waiting for the elevator, you whip out your phone to check your email, but are you really checking it and you're gonna send a quick email? Was that email really being productive? You know, how can yeah. how productive are you going to be in 30 seconds? Why not take those 30 seconds for yourself and observe where you are? You mm -hmm. know, we see those videos of people on their phone running into a pole, stepping in dog <laughs> shit, walking into the street. You see these yeah. kids that you're talking to them and you're like, hey, 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 look at me, look at me, look at me. Oh, like, yeah. How productive can you really be in 30 seconds? And is it your best work? I and think you'd, you, go you'd ahead. be surprised. You can totally be productive in that 30 <laughs> seconds. No, but it's, I, I think for me, at least, my, yeah. my mindset is, is, I, I always say, oh, I can just do it myself. Mm -hmm. I can do it myself. But if I was more productive and you're like, well, I want to save the money of $150. It was a website. That's what it was. Yeah. $150 for someone to do a website. Why would I pay my ass that has no idea how to do a website $150 yep. to do something trashy because I wanted to save it, but then I could pay someone else $150, be more productive and have it done right. Like, where is that money really going? So if I'm going to sit an email or work on a podcast or mm -hmm. something like that, how productive would this podcast be if I was driving in my car to go pick yeah. up groceries and then going to go pick up my kids, I wouldn't be able to give you all my attention. But now I set out time to give you good production. And I yep. think that's kind of the premises of what you're saying. Like, take that time. Yeah, it's getting done. But how good is it really being when you're mm -hmm. doing all of that? Man, welcome to management. <laughs> Sometimes it's better to pay somebody else to do a job you can yes. do because your time is better spent elsewhere. Yes. Delegation. Delegation I, learned, is <laughs> I, I learned that at, at uh, the Wichita Country Club where I'm at now. I didn't have to learn that at Red Rock. Yeah, I didn't have to learn that at all there. I mean, but right. then all of a sudden, when you've got like five different areas that are all operating at the same time, you can't roll up your sleeves and be in these areas. I took I try to take on stuff to to redesign a certain menu or redo this. And it's like delegation. Yeah, sometimes delegating and not doing something yourself is okay. Yeah, it's cheaper. It's better. Somebody can do it better. But if I spend three hours trying to screw around to make a certain menu look good when I have no creative mind in that <laughs> sense at all. I, I mean, I sat there and I was like, I just wasted three hours of my time mm -hmm. that I could have been spending working on training manuals, working on hiring people, right. interviewing, or even just finding a way to make my operation run better. Right. I mean, that three hours could have been great. Way better. <laughs> but then you look at how much you got done on your computer screen in three hours and you're sitting there like, you idiot. <laughs> Exactly. Exactly. Thank you for sharing that. But now that you bring up management, I do mm -hmm. want to talk about this because now we're in 2020, which things are crazy, yep. right? And you're in a management position. How have you yep. been able to kind of like flow with this? It's been kind of hard for all of us in different areas. Yeah. So how has it been for you in workplace? Uh, it sucks. Mm -hmm. I mean, it when we 
we got to a point where we shut down our operations for food and beverage and just we tried to a lot of what happened with covid when we initially shut down if you took that information and gave us the information you have now i think we would have definitely food and beverage wise made a couple different changes but because you have to go on this super extreme on how you operate because you don't ever want to be in a situation where you didn't take enough precautions mm. or you said i should have done this differently you'd rather go okay yeah it was a little bit extreme we've got a little bit more information now let's loosen x and x up a little bit to mm. adjust it but um you know you got to find a way our banquet sales took a massive hit you know but our outside dining was up over 40 percent yeah. When members were coming back out, luckily I'm in a situation where I'm a private club. It's member owned. We don't have as much traffic. So members feel more comfortable coming out to eat, um, especially when it's outside. Uh, but at the same time, you know, we've got 500, 600 members to sell to. And if they don't come out to us, how do you justify the labor? How do you justify the costs? Um, you know, the hardest thing in the food industry was your costs of good goods rose, but the prices of what you're selling went down because you had to get competitive with everybody else. Yeah. It was the exact opposite of what you learn in business. When cost of goods goes up, your price goes up. It went right. the exact opposite way because everybody in Wichita was playing the volume game. Oh, explain that. It's just driving sales. So you, instead of taking a 30% uh, profit on an item, you're going to take a 10% profit on an item. Um, you don't drop percentages down to the bottom line. Uh, percentages are a metric. What you drop down to the bottom line is profits. And so when other people are selling food at 25 and you're selling it at, you know, $30, you have to match that price point to stay competitive. Right. Um, so what you say is I'm going to make more money by dropping my price lower, eating a higher cost but getting more people through the door than I was going to get before. And then you end up dropping more money to the bottom line. And that's what a lot of restaurants had to do to survive COVID. Yeah. And some of them haven't <clears throat> because they sat there and said, our labor stayed the same. Our food costs have gone up. We're not getting the volume that we need. And yeah. so. Yeah. Um, and I wonder, because I know when I was living there, Wichita was one of the test cities for restaurants. Is yeah. that still the same? Yeah, we're number two or three for restaurants per capita in yeah. the U.S. Yeah, so in my opinion, in my head, not my opinion, but like just in my head, I think like how do you survive in a market like that where there's so many restaurants per capita and then you have to shut down and then when you open back up, how many choices is there? There's so many mm -hmm. choices. And I think member, you know, owned is how you kind of stay together, right? Like, I mean, I don't, how many places really did shut down? We haven't seen the full effects yet. You've seen a couple places that they're, you know, their leases are coming up and they just said, screw it. It's not worth it for us to take out the, uh, um, the loan to try mm -hmm. and survive if we were barely getting by right now. Uh, once the stimulus money wears off, then we'll see the effects of it. Okay. But we haven't. There's so much artificial money out there that's covered payroll, uh, the PPP loans, all that stuff. I mean, it's still out there. So we haven't seen the full effects. So there's still 
restaurants opening. Oh, I wow. Mean, Torchy's Tacos just opened up here in town. You guys are getting I a Torchy's Tacos. Me some yes! Torchy's. <laughs> yes, I'm so happy for you. I I mean, when we when we were in Southlake, yes! when I was opening up that Red Rock in Southlake yep. and you were you were there, um, I I mean, that Torchy's, you could take a stone and mm -hmm. hit the front door of that to Torchy's. I mean, I probably gained <laughs> at least five pounds from eating Torchy's Tacos queso. Yes. Yes. I love torchies. It is one of the only yellow quesos that I will eat because I, yeah. I only eat white queso, right? But torchies, yellow queso, I will tear it up. I will go just yeah. for their queso. It is so good. Got to get the trailer park trashy. Yes. Little yes. fried chicken and taco with queso on top and you take off and the you greens. You have it memorized. I, I'll tell you what, I mean, if anybody needs advice on how to order torchies, from a non-Texan, yeah, there I'm the you go. go to. I'm not going to step on any Texan's feet. On <laughs> yeah, that. I, I will stay in my lane. I'm a Kansas boy, <laughs> but every single time I went to Oklahoma or South mm -hmm. Lake, when I'd go to South Lake, it would either be In and Out Burger, yeah, or Torchies. Yep, definitely. I I am 110 percent yeah. with you on that. Um, speaking of management and dealing with all of this, I'm going to switch gears a little bit about family. How do yeah. you balance being a father? a husband mm -hmm. and like not a business owner, but higher up in, yep. in management at a restaurant or a country club. Like, yep. how do you, how do you balance that? For a while I didn't mm -hmm. work, took priority. I'd go in at, you know, on a Saturday at seven or eight in the morning and I'd stay till eight at eight or nine at night. Um, when you have a kid, you know, it changes things a little bit. I'm more likely to leave work early. Um, also, now that I've been in my job for three years in November, I can realize when I can leave early, mm -hmm. you know, maybe like today, leave a little bit during the lunch hour, during that slow period, and then come back during the dinner hour. Um, it, it's difficult because I am the chair of the board at my church. Mm -hmm. And then with that, you know, I have a seat on the endowment board and then I have my seat at the Wichita Country Club on that board whenever as the department head for food and beverage and I give my report. And then, you know, you've got, I've got my kid with my family at the house. I've got, you know, my regular family here. Mm -hmm. And then I've got my daily work hours, which is six days a week and Mondays are my days off. Mm -hmm. And so I really have to force time off to be able to, to do stuff. So now, now I'm to the point where if it's seven 30 and the restaurant's dying down, I used to stay late to see the members that would come in at eight, eight 30. Sayonara. I'm out of there. I'll let my managers take care of it. Um, if I have a chance to leave a little bit midday, um, we didn't have any events going on yesterday. So I told my wife that I accidentally left the car seat for our kid in my car. Really, I wanted to pick my kid up from daycare. Aww, <laughs> yeah. So I, I was like, hey, how about I go pick him up and then I'll meet you at the house. I've done that a couple of times. Yeah. Um, so you, you have to you have to force feed it. But I mean, being in the restaurant industry, you don't I when I married my wife, I told her beforehand, I'm not going to be able to spend Mother's Day with you or Valentine's Day. Mm -hmm. uh, I work on Thanksgiving Day, you know, mm -hmm. Christmas is the only holiday that we actually get off. Um, you know, we're doing dining on New Year's Eve. And so there's 
holidays and you know it working in the mm-hmm. restaurant industry if you go out to eat on mother's day you're batshit crazy yeah it's too busy but we'll carve out time the day after mm-hmm. to do it you know so uh i got married father's day weekend mm-hmm. and so we ended up, we always have to like figure out a time that weekend that we're going to celebrate our anniversary and then go spend time with my dad, uh, uh, celebrate Father's Day. Uh, I used to feel guilty taking off work and I still do feel guilty. If I use a vacation day and I'm not out of town for no reason, I feel guilty. Mm-hmm. I just, and I'm in early the next day. I don't know what it is. I'm just wired that, that way, but I don't know. You have to force feed it. Yeah. There's no option. Yeah. Um, so in talking with men here lately, I've realized something that's been very apparent to me is that men have stress that women don't understand or see. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of times our children as women is what saves our lives. But for men, it's the women and children that save them and oh, yeah. keep them very on on par of where they want to be. But is there a stress that you feel like not your wife necessarily, but just women in general don't necessarily understand that men are going through. Not really. Cause my wife and I are super open. Yeah. I mean, there's literally no hidden doors anywhere. We, uh, we communicate and then, you know, it doesn't mean that we don't argue or, yeah. um, you know, get in fights every once in a while. We, we laugh because we can't stay mad at each other. Yeah. So sometimes like an argument for us, like our number one rule in marriage is don't go to bed mad at each other. Right. And if you don't go to bed mad at each other, like how many times do you go to bed mad and you wake up and you're like, wow, this is really blown out of proportion. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like, it's shortened. The time that we spend mad yeah. at each other is yeah. like, now it's shortened to like 10 minutes yeah. or five minutes. Get uh, it over with. Yeah. Get it over with. But I feel like I'm just constantly stressed or constantly worked up, wound up real tight. I think my friends will tell you that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I don't think that there's stress that I, that I have that nobody really understands. Yeah. If, to be honest with you. Christine Barr here, and I would like to tell you about one of today's show sponsors, Settle and Settle Cleaning Services. Are you in Tulsa, Oklahoma or the surrounding areas? Well, let me tell you about these people. They are amazing. They are a family-ran small business that do customized cleaning to general cleaning to move in, move out cleaning. They're going to sweep you away with all of their great work. They're here for you to just feel like the stress has been melted off. You don't have that overwhelmed feeling. And let's be honest, with COVID and quarantine, we need someone to come in and help us with the overwhelmed feeling. But they're going to make sure your dreams and your image come through with their services. They've been trusted since 1989. Again, Settle and Settle Cleaning Services.
about being a provider? Do you think, and, and I'm not saying you personally, yeah. but just like men, do they have this, I feel like it's an unspoken word that you need to provide for your family at a certain yeah. level. And when you don't do that, it, it's, it bruises and it bruises mm -hmm. hard. Do you feel that way? Or have you seen or heard men go through that? Yeah, I've seen it before. Um, it's kind of demasculating for some people, mm -hmm. for some guys to not be the breadwinner in the family or anything like that. Um, for me, I just like, as long as my shit's taken care of inside my four walls, yeah. <laughs> that's really all I care about. And um, do I enjoy working? going to work six days a week and sometimes seven days a week when there's golf tournaments on Mondays. Um, no. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I also will take on the extra days to get my managers their time off because I am a firm believer of, um, you have to have a life outside of work mm. to stay at a job for a long term. Yeah. Right. And so I, that's one of the things I've learned at Red Rock. I brought it into the club and, uh, my managers went from working six days a week to five and there's only, you know, two weeks in December that I sit there and go, all right, guys, we're working six days to get through the holiday season and that's it. Uh, so I feel like if I can handle that stress and in there, you know, I'm, I'm fine. I try to not let stress get to me, uh, providing for my family. You know, we have a, the term around here where it's like God provides. Yeah. It's funny. But every single time Caroline and I have gotten a pinch and we feel like our backs are up against the wall, something drops in our lap. Yeah. Something drops in our lap where, oh, here's this, uh, you know, money that we forgot was in X place and we just got a check for it. Yeah. You know, something stupid like that. I mean, yeah. I'm telling you, the brick cap started falling off our chimney during COVID oh. when we were shut down. And next thing you know, here comes a stimulus check. Oh yeah. And it was like 2000 bucks to get the chimney redone, reattach it to the house, <laughs> all this stuff. And you're sitting there during COVID and you're like, wow, I've got a kid to take care of daycare that you got to pay for all this stuff. And here's another $2,000, by the way, that you need to, you know, have taken out of your bank account if you even got it. Right. Uh, um, so, I mean, we've done, we've every single time we've been in a pinch, yeah. something's happened something's falling in our lap. Is that ironic? I'll leave it up to personal choice for everybody on that one. But yeah, you know, yeah. if you God provides and he has in multiple, multiple ways, he's provided me with a family, great life. I haven't been put in this spot where I haven't been able to provide for my family. Um, but I don't know. I'm sure whenever that does happen, yours? I'll call you. I'll call you. Yeah. <laughs> whenever that does happen. Oh, a hundred percent. Yeah, it is a fear. It's a fear. I mean, it's, I think when Caroline and I first started dating, she goes, so what's your, what's your biggest fear? And you have all these cliche answers. And for right. me, my biggest fear, I was always not being able to provide for your family. Mm. I mean, nothing there's, you work as a parent to put food on the table, to be able to, you know, if you need to go and buy your kids, you know, clothes, shoes, whatever that you can do that. Yeah. Um, and when you're put into a situation where you can't afford this or you can't afford that, you know, it's, it's one of those where we haven't been putting that too much, thank God. But the um, providing for the family, if I, that is like my worst fear ever. Mm -hmm. 
That's why I'm not a big, big risk taker. Oh, okay. <laughs> I, find a, I find a stable job and I'm, I'm there and I'm good. I'm not a natural risk taker. Lebanese are entrepreneurs. I did not pick up that Lebanese trip <laughs> as an entrepreneur. Doesn't mean I won't branch off one day and open up my own restaurant and do that. But, you know, it really puts it in perspective. If it was just Caroline and I, you know, moving jobs and doing stuff like that, you're a lot more able and adapt. But when you've got a kid and you're staring at this kid and, you know, you sit there and go, the world still goes around and you got to put food on the table. You're not as adept to take as many risks. Ooh, I have not had that answer yet. So thank you so much yeah. for that. <laughs> um, s- switching gears, we're going to talk about social media in the media and stereotypes. Do okay. you feel like you fit your stereotype and do you see yourself in media at all? What do you mean? So like, do you, um, whatever you identify as, okay. um, do you see that in media? Do you feel like you see yourself or do you see a stereotype of you? Yeah. And you're like, I am not like that. That is not yeah. my life. Um, I'm, I'm a Republican. Mm-hmm. I'm a conservative, but I also don't consider myself the terminology of asshole Republican. Okay. Um, you know, I've said it millions of times that everything has just been driven so far left and right that, you know, I think it was Dave Chappelle that has this quote and it runs up every year on this, like uh, on this day on Facebook and it's Dave Chappelle. And he says, you know, the, the worst thing that we've done in society is come to believe that just because you don't have the same belief or the same ideas or the same um way of thinking as somebody else that you can't that you have to hate them that you have yeah. you can't be friends with them and so it, it's funny that you say you know do you see yourself in social media or whatever mm-hmm. um if you want to pay attention to the news that only pertains to you you can i think everything's proved it my wife and i watched the debate last night and she, it, right afterwards, it switched to Fox News. And by the way, I don't watch American News anymore. Yeah. You had to watch one of those outlets to be able to watch the debate. Right. And we just kind of watched the post analysis a little bit. And she says, I bet you this is completely different if you turn to another mm-hmm. turn to another channel. And it, and it is. It's 100% completely different. And people like me who are conservative, but at the same time, you, you do you. Yeah. Do what you want to do. I've got friends that are um, way on the left liberal side, but I'm also not going to be the guy who goes and rips them a new one because they shared a Facebook post that's, you know, offensive to me or whatever. I mean, that's part of the great things about America is you get to be able to say what you want to say. um, But at the same time, you get to be able to believe what you want to believe. We have to be able to be tolerant of that. And so me, do I see myself out there? No, because the people who are smack dab in the middle and the people who are okay with being Republican and having all these other things that typical Republicans aren't supposed to be okay with. Right. I mean, do you, do you remember Scott Thomas? Yes, yes, yes. Okay, so we, I mean, one of the things I love about Red Rock is we had every single day of the week, there was a different bar we went to. Yeah. And I remember <laughs> sitting at the field house it was, it was, and it was Matt Zimmerman, uh, oh Scott Thomas, and I. And here's Scott Thomas. And if you're out there, Scott, 
Re- reach out, man. I miss you. <laughs> um, but here's the, you know, we, we were talking about him as a, as a gay man uh-huh. with his family and how they, you know, you know, how accepting are they of it? And this guy, he goes, well, look at my camo jacket. And he was like, my dad gifted me this camo jacket. I don't know if he thought it was going to make me more masculine or something <laughs> like that. Yeah. And we were just shooting the breeze. And then, you know, we were talking about, you know, where do we want to go to next after this bar or whatnot? Mm-hmm. And Matt all of a sudden stops and goes, whoa, 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 whoa. And starts pointing at both of us. I was like, this isn't supposed to work. Mm-hmm. This isn't supposed to work like this. I'm like, what do, I mean, how is this not supposed to work like this? Right. I mean, I we're having a great time. We're all talking. We're, I mean... And that's the thing that's missed today. Mm-hmm. There's so many times where I'll just put like a random comment out on Facebook and then it gets politicized and it absolutely just blows up into some like astronomical proportions. And I've sat there and I look at my wife and I go, this shouldn't happen. Yeah. This shouldn't be this way. Right. Um, you know, you should be able to be a conservative person and be able to sit down with somebody who's liberal and be able to have a civil conversation right. or to be, be friends. Right. <laughs> And so I, I don't see me out there in social media. I don't see, you know, the conservatives that are okay with people being left mm-hmm. out there because it's not something that the media wants to portray. It's not something the media wants to put out there. Yeah. It's not going to get clicks at all. <laughs> right. And everything's um, about clicks. Have you seen the documentary Social Dilemma on Netflix yet? My, my wife and I, it's on our to watch list. I, I have been sidetracked by uh-huh. community. <laughs> I mean, blast from the past, but I've oh, been yeah. watching that. But the next thing we're going to watch is, is social dilemma. Is it worthwhile? Uh, yeah. I, well, let me say this. I was shocked how not shocked I was. Mm-hmm. I think that was eye opening to me because I knew that it was going to be intense. And I have been following this guy. He was actually in, was it playboy magazine i think or gq magazine where Mm -hmm. he made a comment he's not on the on the um, documentary but he made a comment that we're gonna see social media for kids like smoking is now for kids remember kids used to be able to smoke you know you let them have a sip of beer back in the day and then we're like you know kids really shouldn't be smoking candy cigarettes right exactly and now those are gone right (laughs) exactly (laughs) and he also made the comment like in 20 years we're gonna see the same thing with social media for our kids today and watching this that just kept replaying in my head because of how these kids are getting adjusted to any form of social media. Um, But that didn't necessarily shock me. I think the biggest shocking part was what you said of it's being seen by somebody else differently on their page. I thought we all saw the same thing. Nope. And no. Um, And I think of uh, when you say the conservative and the liberals, you can see one whole video, but if you click more on this over here or click more on this over yep. here, it's going to be seen differently to you. And it really opened up my eyes that, oh, if you believe that way and see, you're so dumb, you're, yeah. I can't believe you believe that. And it's <laughs> like, but they're seeing it different than you are. And your yeah. way of life is has nothing to do with me. So it works for you, my way mm-hmm. of life works for me exactly i'm not going to be able to run my house like i have six kids i don't have six kids 
right? You know, like it doesn't work that way. Yeah. Or if you have all boys in your house or all girls in the house. So why would political beliefs be the same? Exactly. You know, and so I mean, the, it really brought that out for me. Um, a lot of the other things um, that I realized is that I am, I am one of my biggest fears is another civil war. Um, oh, yeah. I don't think it's going to be race wise, but I do think it's going to be political because it just starts as an idea and it <laughs> blows up. And I, that is one of my biggest fears right now is yeah. having that, but I watch it and I will definitely be texting you and be like, did you watch it? Did you watch it? Tell I'll me text if you watched you, it. I'll text you and my wife and I sit down to watch yeah, it. Yeah. And we will, I will let you know. Yeah. They go through the algorithm part of it. That part doesn't bother me. I, yeah. I mean, you know that I'm going to click on this before I click on it. That doesn't bother me. I don't feel violated. I mean, I put my I like, stuff out there. I like the personalization of, you know, <laughs> I mean, you, you go to my Netflix page and yeah. it's got Moneyball on there was the first thing, I, like my favorite movie ever is right. Moneyball. And all of a sudden it's the first thing that pops up as one of their new additions. But then you go to my wife's Netflix page and it is completely different. Right, right. It changes. It is. Yeah. It changes. All right. Are you ready for your Spitfire questions? Sure. Okay. What is your favorite color? Uh, Navy. Favorite book? Oh, wow. Favorite book? Mm -hmm. You have to read to have a favorite book, correct? Um, You're asking no. a dyslexic kid favorite book? <laughs> you can listen. That's how I do um, it. Favorite listen. book that I've read front to back <clears throat> is an orthodox book, uh, Father Arsene. Okay. A spender or a saver? Oh, I'm a spender. Are you a giver or a taker in the bedroom? Uh, I haven't ever looked in that. <laughs> way <laughs> spiritual or religious uh definitely religious uh democrat or republican republican are you a good boy or a bad boy i'm not a risk taker so therefore good okay are you a role maker breaker or follower oh shit where does smart ass go in one of those categories <laughs> I, I, I think I th I'm, I'm like the rule bender like okay. set a rule and I'm going to figure out what all the loopholes are, like what's good. My mom will probably be crying, <laughs> laughing when she hears that. <laughs> what's your natural hair color? Brown. Role model? Role model. Um, I mean, I'd have to say my dad. I, I'll, I'll definitely, it wasn't, he wasn't my role model growing up. And it's not like he wasn't a good person. It was because growing up in a teenager, you don't always look at your parents as role models. Mm -hmm. But, you know, back then it would have been somebody completely different, like Sir Alex Ferguson from Manchester United, because as a kid, you think those guys are like the coolest and you want to yeah. be exactly like him. But now that I'm older, it's definitely 100% my dad. I oh. love going to cigar dinners with him, smoke him on, smoking on Saturday morning, stuff like that. So... Aww. Whenever somebody says you're turning into your father, I look at that as a compliment. Oh, that's so <laughs> sweet. All right. Guac or queso? You already get salsa. Salsa is already a given. Uh, which one? I, we can't we can't have a full conversation about Torchy's queso and then we say guac. That'd be completely <laughs> ridiculous. So I'm going, but Torchy's queso has guac in it. Yeah. So, I mean, it kind of goes with both, right? But well, but at the same time, guacs, if you're like feeling healthy and you really want to be good, uh, I'm all on the bandwagon of the, uh, the queso. Of the queso. All right. Yeah, that heart. <laughs> if you had a million dollars today, what would be the top three things you would do? 
top three things I would do pay off my house. Um, basically pay off all debts. Let me just roll it okay. into that. Yeah. Pay off all debts. Um, I would chuck the majority of it into a savings account and like, you know, do that whole responsible adult deal, <laughs> set up a, set up a fund for my kid that he can't touch until he's like 30, because if he's anything like me, he's going to spend it on stupid shit. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then, you know, the, I'd obviously like take like a quarter of it and send it over to the church. Okay. Uh, what is your love language? I, I don't know. Really? Like I, I've never talked about or even heard love language before. Okay. Okay. We're going to go through There's five. So you're going to have to, you're going to have to go through it a little no, bit. No, it's okay. There's five. So physical touch. Like, do you like hugs and kisses? Are you, <laughs> you, you know, you like to pat on the back. Yeah. Do you like that? Do you like gifts? Um, they don't have to be um, like materialistic. Like if okay. if I just brought you a candy bar and was like, thanks, you would be like, whoa. I mean, it's 69 cent candy bar. 100% um, gifts. I'm just going to go ahead and rock really? it. Really? Um, <laughs> the other one is words of affirmation. So you like yeah. when someone says, Alex, you did a good job. That's all you need to know. Or someone says, thank you. You appreciate that. Yeah. <laughs> you all of them <laughs> i don't know like Acts i'm not service. a picky guy okay. Acts of service so like um you know you can do your own laundry you can do all that but if your yeah. wife were to do that for you you're like yes i i'm definitely of that or quality time you don't need anything but just spend some time with me oh quality time sorry i totally jumped the gun too early <laughs> on that quality time there's quality nothing time. more that i like than after all the dust is settled at work, the kids asleep. I've never really understood why parents go nuts over the quiet time after the kid goes to bed until you actually have a kid and you mm -hmm. don't have screaming or the toy no noises going off. Mm -hmm. I mean, we just sit there every day and we'll you know watch a show or two and talk. That's like my favorite thing. Yeah. That's like yeah. my thing with marriage is yeah. you got to be able to Maybe I'm aging a little quick into a grandfather already, but like just be able to sit down and spend that much time with a significant other, mm -hmm. you know, just talking. That's definitely it for me. What is your biggest fear? Not provide for the kids or for the family. Plastic surgery. Do you have any? Would you get any? Do you believe in it? Uh, I do not have any. And I will refer back to it as your own personal choice. Yeah. Would you ever get any? No. Hell no. I'm going bald up top in the back of my head. I won't show you. It's covered <laughs> up by my headset. Um, I, I even got to the point where I was like, man, you know, I need to, I need to start doing some Rogaine or something like that. Mm -hmm. And then I'm looking at all these products and it fixes it for the short term. And then once you stop using that product, it just all goes away. And so I'm like, why would I just delay the inevitable? Just I'm just, I'm just going to let my body roll and do what it wants to do. And at the end of the day, I'm going to be God willing old. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm not going to care about what I look like at that point. Huh. So if I get there earlier than later, whatever, less time to spend getting ready in the morning. <laughs> <laughs> Is there anything that you want to say to the listener that we have not covered yet? Um, you know, the, the main thing is, uh, <clears throat> turning, turning negatives into positives. 
I'd say my low point in life was when I failed out of KU. I went up there. So I went to junior college for a little bit and then went up to KU, coached and went to school up there. And I got, I mean, horrible GPA, both semesters, like embarrassingly bad. Um, and it was the exact same GPA. So my mom's like, you had to improve, but you didn't. Like, how do you get this bad of a GPA both semesters? Um, coming home and looking your parents in the eye after you've wasted all their money up in college and you basically, you know, I mean, that's that was, I, I felt yay big. I mean, it was awful. But because of that and what happened, I ended up working at Red Rock, got to meet you, got to meet my whole Red Rock family, um, got into the restaurant industry as a manager, um, went to school, graduated from Wichita State, um, was able, if I wasn't working at Red Rock, living with my roommate, I wouldn't have met my wife when he said, hey, everybody's in town for my brother-in-law's bridal shower, uh, wedding shower, whatever it was, engagement party. Um, you know, there was one seat up at the bar. My wife was right there. I went up to grab a drink and we started talking. If I wouldn't have failed out of KU, I wouldn't have ever met my wife. I wouldn't have ever worked at Red Rock. I wouldn't have ever had an opportunity to work at the job that I'm at right now, which would mean that my kid wouldn't be born. And so what may seem like is your lowest point in life could also be the biggest game changer in your life. All right. I had such a great time talking with Alex. He did such a good job. Um, thank you so much, Alex, for coming on and telling your story. Some points that I really wanted to bring out that we did get to touch on was him being Lebanese. So you heard me say, like, I'm ignorant to the culture. You know, I I know him. <laughs> That's like the far as far as it goes for me to know about their culture. But when he says that he grew up with the Lebanese culture growing up and his grandmother bringing food over and the way they see their friends all the time. And then he meets his wife and he's like, oh, no, wait, I'm white compared to my to my wife. And it really kind of woke up that that thought process for me of just because you identify as a certain race or ethnic background, there's always different versions of that. You can say, oh, you know, I'm from the South. Well, the South and the Texas, which some people don't consider Texas the South, but the South version of Texas and the South version of Florida are two different things. We would both say we're from the South, but it's not really the same, right? <laughs> Culturally, it's different. Thought process is different. Um, foods can even be different. Um, I know that there's, I, I always like to think about Louisiana, right? There's like two different types of rice. You can have it with butter and sugar, or you're going to have it with salt and pepper and you're in the same state. It's just 
a different way of thinking about your culture and your ethnic background. I really wanted to bring that out. So if someone says you are not Mexican enough, black enough, white enough, uh, Asian enough, or Indian enough, whatever it may be, just remember there's so many different versions of that culture and you're not any less of your background or your bloodline because you don't match their version of their background or their bloodline. Another point I wanted to bring out is his view on family and how he said God will always provide and, you know, COVID happened and all these things are happening, but yet he still is there with his family. And if there's anything we can take away from 2020 is that we have to appreciate the people that we still have in our lives and value them as deeply as we can because we know that it can be taken away or we can be separated for some time. Um, I, I, he, the way he says it is beautiful. So I don't want to take away from anything that he, the way he worded it, but I am so grateful for him to bring out that, that point. And also the men, how he decides to father, how he decides to teach his son, the way he just says, you know, how he says, Hey, at the beginning of the relationship, I work in restaurant life. Restaurant life means that I work holidays. So you have to know that at the beginning of this relationship, I'm not going to be there for Mother's Day. You know, I'm not going to be there for Valentine's Day. Those the two major holidays of the year in, for restaurants, I should say. Um, and him articulating that. But knowing that him being there means that he's providing for his family. Last but not least, I wanted to talk about um, learning disabilities, which many of you know that I am in the top 96 percentile of dyslexia. So <laughs> it, it really, I love talking with other people that have, have a learning disability to see how they have learned and what they used as superpowers to overcome what school told them they needed to be, how they needed to behave, and things like that. So him saying, sometimes I just have to look away and look back, and then I'm like, okay, I know what that word is. Or reading text messages and his wife not understanding what he's saying, but they've been together for so long, she understands. And you need those people, you know, you need you need those people that can understand that I'm amazing at all of this, but reading might not be my jam. Spelling might not be my jam, you know? Those, those are the things that when you look into it deeper, your community helps you go through it. Um, one of my clients just told me the other day about if you see someone mispronounce a word, it's probably because they learned it by reading. And for me <laughs> and other dyslexic people out there, I'll just speak for all of us. There are words that you just can't phonetically get because you don't understand the phonics, right? It just doesn't happen for our brain. So when someone can give you grace on that, it's such an amazing feeling. So if you know someone that is struggling in any 
subject or realm of their life, give them grace. Be like, you know what? You're killing it in everything else. You're allowed to be less than perfect in (laughs) this one subject. Well, thank you for listening today. If you would like to see a picture of Alex, please join our Facebook group, You Gotta Meet Her Podcast. Um, You'll find conversations on there, and we have a great time. That is it for me. I will check you on the next one.